Hey everyone, welcome to the Limitless Grid podcast. In today's episode, we have Dr. John Demartini. Dr. Demartini is a internationally known author and he has written more than 40 books and his work has been translated in more than 36 different languages. You might know him from the movie The Secret. And in today's episode, he talks about value system, why we might be screwing ourselves up and how to align your values so you can manifest better. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And without further ado, Dr. Demartini. So um, I was introduced to you and your work when I uh, watched The Secret, but I actually started reading your books after one of my friends went to your seminar and I saw how transformative it was for her. And in your work, you talk a lot about values. And I wanted to ask, what is value? Well, everybody has something that's most important to least important in their life. Some people have a very high value on their children. Some people have a high value on their business, some on their fitness, some on their spiritual growth, some on their intellectual and personal development, some on their financial well-being. No two people have the same set of priorities, set of values, things that are most to least important in their lives. So a value is something you value, thing that's important that you want to inculcate, bring into your life that you feel you don't have as, as much as you'd like of. So whatever you think is most missing can become most important. If you feel you don't have a relationship, relationships you'll seek. If you don't feel like you have business, you'll look for business. If you don't think you have wealth, you look for financial. So whatever you think is a void becomes a value. And the study of values, which is axiology, is the study of value and worth. And when you feel you fulfill what it is you value, you feel more worthy. And when you feel you have emptiness and don't feel more, you don't feel like you have what you are searching for, you feel empty. So it's the fulfillment of what you value most that is a value. The thing that you, the reason why they call it important is because you want to import it into your reality, into your, into your life. So it's important because it wants to be imported into your life. Wow. What a great uh, description. Um, so sometimes I feel like I struggle to understand my value. How can I find my core values? Well, the first principle, I, I've been studying values since 1978. <laughs> so I've been doing it a bit. And because uh, I was curious, so what does it made people walk their talk versus limp their life? Why do some people do what they say and some people don't? And I realized that when people set goals that were congruent and aligned with what they valued most, they had a higher probability of achieving it. But when they set goals that were lower on their values, but they thought it was higher, but actually it was lower, then they end up procrastinating, hesitating, and frustrating and not achieving. So that's what led me to want to study values. But most of the literature on that topic, I wasn't satisfied with. It seemed like there was some sort of autocratic traditional, conventional ideology about how you're supposed to be with your values instead of what the individual values of the individual really is. And so the first principle I learned was that your life actually demonstrates your values because your values are dictating how you perceive, how you decide, and how you act. Every decision you make is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage or disadvantage at any moment. So I had to go and find ways of determining people's values. 
And I found 13 predominant ways that, that really gave an indication of what a person was living, not what they fantasized about, not what they thought it should be, but what they actually were living. And that is how they fill their space. <clears throat> Things that are really important to you, you keep proximal, you keep close. Things that aren't important to you, you toss. If I gave you the hoof of an elephant and said, here's a gift, <laughs> and unless you had a sacredness around an elephant, you'd probably go, uh, what am I going to do with this? You'd probably toss it the second I left. But if I gave you a precious diamond or a precious stone or a precious artifact that's 10,000 years old, it's a one of a kind, and you valued it, you pre keep it close to you, you keep it on display, you wouldn't let it out of your sight. So things that are really important to you keep close and things that are not important to you toss and get rid of. So if the value determinant number one is how do you fill your space? And what is the most intimate and personal space? What are the top, the items that you keep closest to you? Now today, most people keep their computer in front of them or their cell phone, but whatever's most valuable to them, they keep close. So that's the first indicator. The second one is time. You find time, make time, spend time on things that are valuable to you, but you don't get around to having time. You don't want to take time for things that aren't. So your space and your time are two indicators of what you value most. So I can take a, a, a drone and look over you and look at how you fill your space and how you spend your time. And it gives me already some indication of what's really valuable to you, not what you think it should be. <clears throat> the, th the third one is when you're doing something that's high in your value, your energy goes up. And when you're doing something that is low in your value, energy goes down. We've all been in a social setting where people are talking about something that are, is completely unimportant. And you're just like, on <clears throat> boring. But if they get and change the conversation to something engaging, you're now wide awake. So your energy goes up when you are in doing something high in your value. So you look at not only where you fill your space and what you spend your time on, but what energizes you, what really wakes you up. The reticular activating system in the brainstem is activated and woken up when you're doing something high. The next one is what is it you're most disciplined about or what do you spend the most money on? And as you look at where your money is, where it's going, you the hierarchy of your values is dictating your financial destiny. It tells you what you spend your money on. So if you have a high value on your children, most of your money will go to your kids and take care of their the children's clothes, education, health, etc. If your highest value is asset accumulation and wealth building, you'll put all your money into wealth building. I read a story yesterday about a woman that never made more than $2.50 an hour in her life, but she accumulated 10 to $20 million over a period of time <clears throat> because she saved 70% of everything she earned and lived on a very small budget. So she had a value on wealth building. Even though she didn't make enough money, the average person would never be wealthy with that kind of money. But she had a value on it. So she, she put her money into assets that went up in value. So where do you spend your money? That tells you where you value things. The next one is where you're most organized and ordered. Where do you have the highest degree of order and organization? Mine's knowledge. I gather and research every day. So I'm organizing knowledge. But somebody else may be organizing their house or organizing their, their social life, organizing their business or their financial matter or their fitness or their, or possibly their intellectual knowledge. 
And the next one is what do you are, what are you most disciplined and reliable to do? You can count on me to be studying and researching and teaching, but you can't count on me to necessarily be socializing and partying. I don't do much of that. I, I'll, I'll do a presentation in front of a large audience, but my social life is not just socializing and drinking and partying and staying up late. I don't do that. I'd rather read a book. So you tell me what you are disciplined and reliable on, and I'll tell you where your value is. And now all of these, these indicators, these determinants, point in a direction. There's a pattern that emerges as you answer these questions, if you answer honestly. And it starts to reveal to you a pattern that you kind of go, hmm, it's pretty obvious what I'm valuing here. The next one is, what are you thinking about? The next one is, what are you visualizing? And the next one is, what are you internally dialoguing with yourself about, about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of coming true? And it doesn't, if it doesn't have evidence, it's fantasy. And if it's not something you really love to do, then it's not what you're pursuing. But what is it you're thinking, visualizing, and affirming about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence of coming true? The next one is, what do you keep wanting to bring conversations to? Again, when you're in social settings, some people want to talk about their business. Some people want to talk about their kids. Some people want to talk about their health. So when people come up to you and says, how's your kids? Obviously, there's a value on kids or they wouldn't bring that up. They would come up and say, well, how's your fitness? Or how's your golf game? So what people want to converse and lead the conversations to is based on what they value. And if they engage and speak up and become extroverted, it's high on their value. If they go inward and quiet, it's low on their value. The next one is what inspires them? What is it that brings tear of inspiration? And what's common to the people who have inspired them? There's certain heroes and people that inspire them. And there's certain topics that inspire them. What exactly is that? Again, that pattern will show up in all these answers. The next one is what is the most persistent and consistent goals you have that you keep pursuing that have been long-term that you are relentless on and you don't let anything stop you from doing it? What's the common ones? It may be raising a beautiful family. It may be running a business. It may be fitness. It may be like me, studying and learning. But what is it you are disciplined and you're, you're, you persevere and you just keep going and you set a goal and you don't let it, nothing stop you from it. And the last one is what do you love studying about, reading about, learning about and feeding your mind on YouTube's videos, audios? What do you keep wanting to feed your mind? Now, most likely you probably are involved in the personal development space and anything to do with helping people maximize their potential in life. You're probably devouring. But when it comes to uh, how to design an engine and build an engine in a 1940 uh, car, you're probably not reading. <laughs> not important to you. So you don't read that. But what you want to study, you want to feed your mind. Everybody wants to feed their mind according to what they value most. So those 13 value determinants, those questions, if you answer three answers each and you look at what shows up most frequent to least frequent, it gives you a really great indication of what your life is demonstrating that you value most, not what you think it should be or supposed to be by tradition, convention, or authorities, but what is your life actually living and demonstrating? Because unless you set goals that are congruent and aligned with that, you'll have an internal conflict and turmoil be having a, a say you want to do something, but you're really demonstrating something different. So finding out what that is, is a very crucial starting point. And if you want to master your life.
lot of important points that you brought up now i want to take deeper into a few points that you mentioned and tear them apart uh so the first point that you mentioned early on is the goals have to be in congruency with the values to be able to achieve them but say hypothetically my goals are not in alignment with my values but they are really important for me to achieve them either for my for my own well being say the fitness or my own career growth but they are not aligned with my values so how do i evolve my values to achieve those goals that's a great question <clears throat> you'd be surprised how many people over the last 46 years <laughs> that say something's important but it's not so i'm going to first address that then answer your question so i was standing at a uh success summit in johannesburg in 2012 and there's around 5000 people in the audience and i asked cuz it was a a, a seminar de- designed to build business and wealth <clears throat> and so i asked how many of you would love to be financially independent so 5000 people every hand went up in that room pretty well some people put both hands up some people put their foot up in the air and i said fantastic I said now how many of you are financially independent where your passive income is exceeding your active income and you work cuz you love to not because you have to all the hands went down except 7 so 7 out of 5000 people were financially independent not a not a very high percentage so then I said isn't it interesting that 99.999999 to 100% of you all wanted to have financial independence but so few are obtaining it would you like to know why i said and they go yes yes i said i'm going to show you something get out a piece of paper and on this piece of paper i want you to write down the 10 things you would do if i handed you 10 million us dollars right now i gave you a stack in a box of 10 million US dollars it's yours <coughs> tax free it's yours you have 1 minute 60 seconds to decide what are the 10 things you're going to do with it on your mark get set go right that 60 second right what would the 10 things i would do with that money if i had that money and i said stop at 60 seconds hand it to the person on your left what you wrote the person on the left would then calculate how much of those assets that i gave them is still an asset that's able to grow and accumulate and appreciate in value and how much of that was spent on consumables that depreciated 20 to 80% was an average through the room that they immediately said oh i bought that car i bought those new clothes i bought that new house i bought that new a boat i bought that new trip and they spent their money on consumables that did go went down in value depreciated in value that was not an asset and i explained to them that as long as you have a higher value you say you want to be financially independent you all say that but i don't go by what people say i go by what they live their actions speak louder than their words So the first thing is to make sure they're not lying to themselves about what they want because their life demonstrates what they want and their life in that room demonstrated that they want to buy 
the lifestyle, the rich and famous, and not want to be patient, defer gratification to save the money to actually let the assets work for them to buy that lifestyle. Now, out of that room, there were just a handful of people that put all their money into assets. Less than 1% of the room put their money into assets, which is why there's less than 1% of the population that become financially independent. So the first thing is to make sure that what they say they want is not BS. Because if it's BS, they're trying to do something that's not really important to them. But because they've compared themselves to other people and put those people on a pedestal and minimized themselves, they now have a temporary void thinking, I need to be like that. I need to be like the Joneses. <clears throat> and then they, what they do is they pursue that which is not really important to them. And then they start to think, well, I keep sabotaging. Why am I not disciplined? Why am I not staying focused? It's not important to them. They think it is. So the first thing is determine what your real values are. Now, if you choose to want to change your values to match the goals or change the goals to match the values, they have to be congruent. So most people, when they have the realization about their values, they can rearrange their goals and quit looking for fantasies. Or they can shift their values to move in the direction of goals. I can take any human being and I can show them how to shift their values and increase the probability of them becoming wealthy financially. I've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. But what you do in order to raise a value up on the list in the hierarchy of values is to stack up the advantages and benefits of the action steps that are proven to give you that result. So if you just say, I want to raise the value of wealth building, and you say, the benefit of wealth building is I can spend money on, I can buy this and I can buy that. That's not raising the value of wealth building. That's raising the value of spending money. It's lifestyle. To raise the value on wealth building, you write down that most people that build wealth they build businesses that serve ever greater numbers of people and they have a work ethic, a service ethic of humanitarian goal to fill a need. That's an action step. If they're not committed to doing something that serves, why would they expect to have an income? If they don't have a product, service, and idea that meets the values and needs of another individual that people will be sustainably willing to pay fair exchange for, there's no source of income unless they're doing derivative markets and gambling, which I don't recommend people to gamble. I recommend to serve and to be productive. So if they have that as a value and they have a real desire to want to contribute to people's lives, there's no limit on the potential wealth they can generate. Then the second one is what is the, what is the advantages and benefits of managing that business effectively and efficiently to maximize the returns and profits? So there's a greater margin. So you're prioritizing your actions, you're prioritizing your procedures, you're streamlining your, your space and time usage, and you're making sure that there's a profit margin so you can pay the employees higher quality, higher quality employees and keep the prices to the customer lower. So you're looking at how do I make my company more efficient? These are real action steps that lead to wealth. The third one is writing down the benefits of saving an ever progressive portion of it. I mean, Buffett has $150 billion in liquid assets 
15 to sometimes 40% of the company. So most people are walking around on empty in a gas tank that's empty instead of having a cash reserve to stabilize their business and to make sure they can take advantages of opportunities when they do arise. So saving an ever progressive portion of the profits and not waiting to see if there's profit, but forcing a profit. Because if you don't force the profit, entropy will remove the profit and create unexpected bills. Just like if you don't fill your day with high priority actions, it will fill up with low priority distractions. If you don't put your money into assets, it will end up in liabilities. That's a basic law of economics. So you're saving an ever progressive portion of profits. The next one is you're investing in ever greater degrees of leverage. So you're earning the right to risk and you're investing in higher quality companies and you're generating a cash accumulation and deferring gratification and allowing yourself to buy long-term assets instead of short-term gains. In the process of doing that, you reduce your taxes, you increase the stability, you don't be distracted, and you're basically allowing yourself to stabilize your primary source of income, which allows more business to come to you. The next one is to accumulating it, to actually having your wealth accumulate so you have objectives to meet goals to meet that you're accumulating your wealth for so you can draw money to you because wherever money goes, money flows. And the last one is creating some sort of financial cause that leaves a legacy. What are you going to do with all the money that you've accumulated? How are you going to contribute back to society? What impact do you want that's going to leave the legacy? If you do those action steps and force the savings and force the investments and do it automated where there's no emotion associated with it. It's just electronically strategized. Wealth is on your way. I've been doing it 42 years and became financially independent because I started doing the action steps that lead to that result. And if you don't have a value on it and you don't have it structured and you don't have a disciplined system for it, the probability of it happening, it goes down. Hmm. That's a really good point you brought up. Um, I wanted to ask, like, how do you know when someone is living in alignment with their values? They're grateful. They're inspired by the vision. They have a love for what they do. They're present. They're certain about their skills. And uh, so there's gratitude of what they get to do, the gratitude for the opportunity to work, love what they're doing inspired by the vision, enthusiastically working. They're certain about their skill and they're present in what they're doing. And that's a sign that they're doing what they love and loving what they do. That just makes you tap dance to work, as Buffett says. Hmm. I want to go back to the earlier point that you mentioned in terms of aligning the goals to the values or values to the goals. So to summarize what you mentioned, maybe might not do a justification with one sentence. But is it like having a deeper purpose of why? Like say you mentioned, say achieving financial freedom. It's why. Is it to serve humanity or is it to serve your employees better? So so are you referring that there has to be a deeper why to be able to have that alignment? Well, there's an old proverb that says that when the why is big enough, the house take care of themselves. You have a big enough reason for doing it, you'll do it. Let me give you maybe an example. If I walked up to you and said, look, I'm, I'm having some problems. I'm, I'm behind on my bills. I have some debts. Uh, can I have you take care of my bills for me? You'd probably say, thank you, but no, thank you. I've got my own bills. If I said to you, um, I, I end up getting sick this month and I'm not able to work. Can you help me out? 
you might think, eh, no. If I said, um, my kids, I didn't save enough and I didn't work hard enough and efficiently enough and my kids are ready to go to college and I can't afford to do it, can you help me out? You go, eh, no. But if I said, four months ago, my little boy was walking across the street and he got run over. And we live in a suburb and the park that he loves to go to, which he was running across the street to, is on the other side of a busy street. We would like to raise some funds and build a park on this side of the street so the kids on this side of the street don't run the risk of having to get run over. If it, we're going to take um, 10% of whatever we earn and we're going to work and accumulate it until we can buy the land to buy and make this park. Anything you could do that would be of help, we would love to help build a park just in case you have kids so you don't have that happen to you. Now you got, I got your attention. You might, if you have kids, might think, hmm, I might put a little money into that. So the greater the cause, the greater the universalness of the cause, the higher the probability people participate and you participate. So if you have a cause, it's yourself. I was told when I was 17 by Paul Bragg, you know, set goals for yourself, your family, your community, your city, your state, your nation, your world, and beyond for 100 to 120 years. I did. <clears throat> and then the, that gave me a greater cause. And the greater the cause, the greater the potential for contribution and the potential for wealth. You think about the wealthiest people on the planet, they're involved in causes. <clears throat> so, yes, the greater the cause, the greater the potential wealth. The bigger the why the more the house take care of themselves. You find a reason if you have a big enough reason. If I told you that, um, you know, I was going to steal away your child and said the only way to get your child back is to raise $10 million. Otherwise, you have one month and I'm going to kill your child. Uh, you have to raise, uh, you know, $10 million or something like that. You'd find a way of doing it because you loved your child. You'd figure it out. You'd do whatever it takes. You got creative. You'd do things you would never consider doing because you got a big enough reason for doing it. So most people don't give themselves much of a reason for doing it. They just want immediate gratification. And that's not enough to build wealth. Immediate gratification doesn't do it. So did you have your goal when you were 17 for like next 50 years? I wrote down a goal, just what he told me. I wrote down a goal that I wanted to travel to every country on the face of the earth and become a teacher when I was 17. And so here I am. And I, at 18, I wrote down that I want to be a citizen of the world. And the name of my ship is called the world. And so I'm a citizen of the world. And I go to all the countries. I said, the universe is my playground. The world is my home. Every country is a room in the house. Every city is a platform to share my heart and soul. So that's been in my head since 18, running every single day, that little statement. So I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, you can create your life. You can live by design or you can live by duty. You can live by your own dreams or you can subordinate to the duties of others. And most people are not dedicated to helping you fulfill your dreams. So if you're living by the, the duties of others, you're probably not going to have the same fulfillment as if you design your life. How many countries have you traveled so far? Well, I've got only 20 left. Let's put it that way. The whole world. Oh, wow. Left. That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I've, I've been blessed. I've been gone to many countries speaking and also sailing and speaking because I'm speaking right now. I'm in Uruguay <laughs> as we speak. That is like true alignment with your values. I, I, I learned at seven, uh, at 27, I read a book <clears throat> by Alec McKenzie. And um, after devouring this book, I realized that I was not living by top priority, you know, consistently. 
So I decided I was majoring in minors and minoring in majors. So I decided to prioritize my life. I made a list of everything that I was doing honestly in my day, day by day over about a three month period. And I made a list of every single thing I did, little nitpicky things I did. And then I put next to that list, I put down how much does it produce per hour? Because if it's serving somebody, they're willing to pay for it. It's a value to somebody. If it's not serving anybody, it's not a value, then I'm not, I'm devaluing myself and I'm not offering a service. So I put a dollar value in it and I found a whole lot of them were zero. And, and the ones that were producing the most, I was doing very little. So I was realizing I wasn't spending my time on really top priority things. And then after that, I wrote down on a one to 10 scale, the meaning of each of these, because I wanted to find the one that made me inspired to want to do it. I wanted to find the one that inspired me that served the most people that people would pay for. So I could go and do what I love and be inspired by it. Can't wait to get up in the morning and do it. And people can't wait to get it. That's where my niche was. And then I asked, what was the, and I prioritized the list of meanings. And many of the things that I had high meaning on were also the things that produced. And then I went to the next column and I went and I said, okay, what does it cost to hire somebody to do each of these things? Because I wanted to delegate it. Because if you're not dedicated to what's highest in priority and you're not delegating what's lowest in priority, you're not going to live an inspired and freed life. Not going to happen. You're going to be trapped. Most people are. So I basically looked at what I could delegate. and I looked at the spread between what it could produce versus what it would cost. And I prioritized that. And then I looked at how much time I was doing each of these things. And then I prioritized the final prioritization with all the variables. And then I divided every one of those actions into job duties. And then I hired people and got all that off my plate. And I started with a little 970 square foot office with one of the staff members. And 18 months later, I had five doctors, 12 staff members, and a 5,000 square foot office making 10 times more income. So in 18 months, my life changed. And <clears throat> I no longer did anything that wasn't inspiring. So I don't do anything but teach, research, write, and travel today. Nothing else. Everything else is delegate. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I don't cook. I don't clean. I don't do anything but teach, research, write, and travel the world. Everything else has been delegated to specialists. I think what you're teaching is so important, but I also feel it comes down to your belief system. So for someone whose highest joy or highest value might be painting, but they might have a belief system that they're not going to be able to pay their lifestyle with painting. So they might be in a job that they absolutely hate, but make ridiculous amount of money. So how can someone like that align their values with their like job? Well, first of all, um, the first thing I would do is I'd go, how can I get handsomely and beautifully paid to paint? And who are people out there that made fortunes painting? And I go find out what exactly they're doing that's different than what the average poor person that's doing it is doing. Because I know a friend, um, Charles Billich, that makes millions a year painting. <laughs> and I know uh, people in the arts, the, the famous pianist that makes millions piano, doing piano. So what makes the difference? I know some people that make 40,000 years doing piano. I know somebody that makes 4 million a year paying piano, piano. So what's the distinction? What are they doing different? How are they doing it? What's the drive? I first go and find out who's doing it so I can change the belief that it's possible because it, it's totally possible. I, I, I've been asking myself, what is it I would absolutely love to do in life? And how do I get handsomely and beautifully paid to do it? 
I wouldn't want to go through life. How do I afford to do it? I'm going to come through. How do I get handsomely paid to do what I love? I don't want to have a Monday morning blues, Wednesday hump days. Thank God it's Fridays and week friggin' ends. I want my vocation and vacation to be the same. I want to be able to get handsomely paid. So I get handsomely paid to travel the world and handsomely paid to speak and handsomely paid to write books and whatever it is. I structured it where I will get paid to do it so I can delegate the rest and they help me do it and make more income because there's a way of making a fortune on almost anything that you set your mind to do. But most people don't have a value on wealth building to ask the questions and to seek out and to find those answers. So they accept a little job over here that they hate to make decent money. So they have uh, to then get away and escape to spend their money on the things that they like doing. And that's okay. I'm not saying that's a terrible thing or a immoral thing. It's just that you can get handsomely and beautifully paid to do exactly what you love to do. And I've been showing people how to do that for a century. <laughs> Seems like a century. It's actually over 50 years now. I, I've had a lady that wanted to spend time with her dog, and we got her to make $100 million spending time with her dog. Her dog became one of the most famous dogs in New York. Wait, who is this lady? Karen Beale's dog, her little chihuahua, became the milk bone dog biscuit commercial dog. Two other dog commercials. She ended up with a television series. But she came to my Breakthrough Experience program, and I said, what is it you'd absolutely love to do? Uh, I like spending time with my dog. I said, good. How can you get handsomely paid to do it? Uh, I have no idea. I said, look, how can you get handsomely paid to spend time with your dog? Uh, I don't know. Answer the question. How can you get handsomely paid to spend time with your dog? My dog's cute. People may pay for it to take a picture of him. And we started to go from there, and we made him into a celebrity. We made him into a superstar. And 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 we started dressing him different ways. So everybody wanted to take a picture. We then created an agency and made him a, a model. And then he ended up getting on t television. I mean, it, we mapped out a strategy and made $100 million off a dog. How long did it take from zero to 100 million? All the way up. It took about 20 years to get that whole thing accomplished. But she was already in the million by the third to fourth year because she sold it. She did a $2.2 million deal with Melbourne Dog Biscuit. So all I can say is that you can ask different sets of questions. The quality of your life is basically quality of the questions you ask. If you ask the question, how can I afford to go and do what I love? That's different than how can I go make an extra million painting? <clears throat> if you ask that and don't stop answering that, you'll find a way because you'll have a big enough reason for doing it. And I assure you, there are people that are doing it and they ask it and they figure it out. I know a guy that took a silk screen printing press and threw a towel, a, a towel that he wiped off the print ink off, threw it on top of a canvas. It spread into the canvas and made this beautiful art piece. And somebody said, how much is this? And he goes, uh, it wasn't even designed to be a painting. It was just a, a, a rag that got thrown on the thing. And he just made up a number. He said $1,500. And the guy said, that's a deal. He said, you got any more of these? He said, uh, I've got them in the back. He didn't have them, but he threw some more rags on a canvas and made an extra $10,000 because of it. So that was the opening of a new door of painting by rag throwing. <laughs> I think this is like a perfect segue for talking about manifestation. You were in the movie, The Secret, and a lot of people, including myself, have a difficult time when it comes to visualization or manifestation. What do you think we are doing wrong? Well, the number one secret behind the secret left out of the secret dealing with manifestation is don't waste your time on goals that are truly highest on your value. 
Because the second you set a goal that is congruent and aligned with what you value most, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, the medial prefrontal cortex. That area of the brain is associated with the visual associated areas in V5, V6 of the occipital cortex. And that's where you have all the visual associations to see your vision. So you won't get a vision. Those with a vision flourish, those without a vision perish. You won't get a vision unless you're congruent with what your values are. And that's the body doing its job to give you symptoms to let you know when you're not congruent with what you really value in life because your identity revolves around it. So don't waste your time on something that's not valuable. Make sure it's really valuable. And that's what most people do. They think it's valuable. Just like the guy said, I want to be financially independent. No, they want to spend money and they're not going to get financially independent spending money. So first, identify what's highest in value. Then set a goal that is congruent with it or change the values to match it. So they're congruent. Once it's congruent, your innermost dominant thought becomes your outermost tangible reality. And your innermost dominant thought is the expression of what you value most. So if you set a goal that is aligned with the highest values, you don't have to be motivated or reminded to think about it. You will automatically think about it. You will automatically be creative and coming up with solutions towards it. Once you think about it, you'll see it in your mind's eye. If you can see it in your mind's eye and you can articulate it through a term and an affirmation that's clear and concise, so you know exactly what you're committed to doing, where somebody, if they heard you say it, they can see it in their own mind. Then you have a clear vision. You have affirmed it. It's clear in your vision. It's clear and congruent with your mind and thoughts. And now you know it's highest in your value. Then you will feel gratitude for it. You'll love doing it, working towards it. You'll be enthused on it. You'll be inspired by it. You'll be certain about it. You'll develop your skills in it. And the way the thalamus works, it's the filtering and relay station to the cortex. All the sensory information that's around you will automatically be filtered according to what you value most. And you see the synchronicities and opportunities that most people can't see when they're setting goals that aren't congruent. But you can see them. And so you see that the universe is working on your behalf on the way, not in the way, when you're doing things that are highest on your value. Then if you then plan out a strategy and strategically plan, which dissolves fantasies and makes sure you have true objectives that are really meaningful to you, you increase the probability of achieving it. And if you take spontaneous action, because people are spontaneous in their actions when they do something that's high in their value, when you spontaneously act on it and love doing it, like I do in my studies and teaching, then you don't have to worry about it. You just automatically do it. You don't get distracted from what's highest on the value. You get distracted when you're trying to pursue something that's not highest and you keep getting distracted by something that is highest and you confuse them. Then if you take actions on it and you are, are resourceful with that and seeing the opportunities on it, you're going to increase the manifestation because you're going to be seeing things on the way. You're going to be grateful for what's happening. And gratitude is the attitude that allows you to attract the opportunities in your life. And people want to help you because they see you being congruent. They see a real person that's exemplifying what's possible and they draw, they're drawn to it automatically. Anybody that's authentic. So you have the increasing probability of manifesting your innermost dominant thought. Wow. That's a lot of information. Oops. Taking some time to digest that. I think what you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. I, I was told that it's, listening to me is like drinking from a fire hydrant. So that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking like I'll have to listen to it a couple of times before. Well, they'll, have to, they'll have to watch your show multiple times. How's that? 
So what you mentioned regarding the secret is that there's 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 a lot more to do than just visualizing or thinking about the stuff that that we want. It's it's first aligning the values and then having a, a clear map of how we want to go about it. Take consistent action towards it. You don't build a building. You don't build a bridge. You don't go to Mars. You don't build a city without vision and without strategies. If people come to me after The Secret came out and said, you know, I've watched the movie 20 times. I've read the book six times. Every day I go out to my mailbox expecting a million-dollar check in there, and I still don't get a million-dollar check. And I said, you know, that's foolish. Come on, get grow up. I said, I said, if you really want a million-dollar check, go do a million dollars worth of service. Increase the probability in your favor based on being grounded in reality and don't live in la-la fantasies. I'm not saying you can't visualize a, a million dollar check. I'm okay with that. But I don't find people getting a million dollar check just because they visualize it. I do it. I find it because they visualize it and they also did the action and service that earned it. If you go and earn 10 million, you got your million. If you go out there and expect a million without doing anything, sustainable fair exchange is what the universe is trying to help people master. So anytime you try to get something for nothing or give something for nothing, you get smacked and you get to learn that that doesn't sustain. Sustainable fair exchange is the only thing that's sustainable. So if you care about another human being to go and provide a need for them in a way where they value it enough to pay for it, you have a source of income. And if you take a portion of that and invest it in assets, you're on your way to building wealth. And you can try to live in a fantasy, but you, if you ground yourself and do the things that actually get your result, I lived in sort of a delusion until I was 27 about finances, thinking, well, it's all just going to happen somehow. I got grounded at 27 and started structuring it. And from that day on, my finances took off. So I don't want to promote a fantasy. I'd want to help people get grounded and do something that works. So visualization is part of it. Affirmations are part of it. Thinking about it is part of it. But taking actions and making sure you structure it and making sure your values are really willing to receive and build wealth is essential if you want to make that really happen in life. What I realized is what was missing from the secret for me is the value aspect. Like you, I thought, oh, you just like, if you visualize anything that will come, that will become a reality, but you need to align your value to that particular goals. That I think is a missing point for a lot of people. Yes. You won't stay focused on something that's not valuable to you. I've been teaching for 51 years, over 51 now. And uh, I obviously have a value on it. <laughs> <laughs> so if someone wants to know what exactly their values are or their true values are, do, do you have any exercises or any place that they can go and like know their true values? Yeah. If they go to Dr. Demartini. Dot com, D-R-D-E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. There's a value determination process that's free. It's private. They can do it. And I would ask them to do it again a week from now, a month from now, and three months from now. Because the first time, they're going to want to not listen to what the questions are. They're going to want to write down what they fantasize and hope for. But until they grow up, and I say grow up, and ground themselves on what's truly demonstrated in their life and not just live in the fantasy of what they think they want and get grounded 
and look at what your life really demonstrates, it's eye-opening. The moment you do, you can now look at why you're creating your reality. Because once you see your values, you realize, now I understand why I have the life I have. Now the question is, if I want to change it, it requires that I shift my values or stop pursuing something that's not as important as I thought it was and start pursuing what is important. And that you'll excel at. Everybody will excel at what they value most. So they can either shift their values to match their goals or organize their goals to match their values. But unless those are congruent, you're going to have internal conflict. I want to transition to a concept that you talk a lot about, that is gratitude. Why do you think gratitude is important? I was born on Thanksgiving Day. My mom told me when I was four, when she was putting the baby to bed, she said, think about what you're grateful for, because those that are grateful for what they have, they get more to be grateful for. I have the largest collection of documented gratitudes I'll be willing to bet of anybody you've ever met in your life. I have 9,000 pages of daily 10-point print, one-inch margin gratitude lists that I do every single day, including putting that on the, your show on there. The ad, I had the opportunity to do this show today. That'll be on that list. So I document what I'm grateful for every single day because it's an acknowledgement of the hidden order that's in your life. There's two types of gratitude, a superficial gratitude. When people do things that support your values, you go, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And a deep gratitude, a grace, when you realize there's a hidden order of what's happening in life, even when you're challenged, you see the order of it. <clears throat> Disorder means missing information. Order means seeing complete information. You have an illumination in your awareness. So I basically don't go to bed at night without making sure I look through whatever has happened and find out how it was on the way. It's, it's wise to prioritize your actions. It's wise to prioritize your perceptions. And the way you prioritize your perceptions, ask, how did whatever happened today, how did it help me fulfill what is most meaningful to me? How does it help me fulfill my mission? And if you answer that, even things that are challenging, you find the hidden order to, you're grateful for. And that gratitude, if you document it, allows you to build an incremental momentum that's unstoppable and great achievement. So documenting gratitude also releases physiology. It allows you to heal. It allows you to be more resilient. It allows you to see the order. It allows you to be able to be more gracious with people. It helps in relationships. It helps the mind. It helps the body. It helps socially. It helps in transactions for economics. Every area of your life is impacted by gratitude. I feel like you are a master when it comes to practicing gratitude and like, how can someone train their brain to be in a grateful state and practice more gratitude? When you're living by priority and dedicating yourself to the highest priority thing, you maximize your gratitude. Your executive center is your gratitude center in the brain. <clears throat> and if you delegate lower priority things and give other people opportunities to do what they love and help other people do what they love, you get to do what you love by prioritization. And then you have less trauma. You have less internal drama. I delegate everything. Anything that I needed extrinsic motivation to do, I delegate. I don't do it. I hire people to do everything that I don't want to spend my life doing. And people say, well, 
yeah, because you're wealthy, you can do that. No, I got wealthy because I did it. <laughs> That's what's backwards. Most people think, well, when you get wealthy, you can do that. No, I got wealthy because I did that. Because I kept my core thing. Gary Keller wrote a book called The One Thing. And find, yes, finding that one thing that you are greatest at, that you can't wait to do, that serves the greatest number of people and delegating the rest away and doing that, allowing yourself to excel into the greatness. Most people don't give themselves permission to do. They scatter themselves, feel obligated, try to fit in, fear rejection, uh, subordinate to outer authorities, compare themselves to others instead of compare their daily actions to their own priorities, and then judge, which leaves them empty and in gratitude instead of grateful and loving, which inspires them and exemplifies what's possible. Dr. Martini, if people want to know about you and your work, where should they find you? They can go to just drdmartini.com. When they go and do the value determination process, which they will say thank you for, I'm sure they'll do it because I've got millions of people that have done that. If they do that and just browse the, the website, just go to the media section or go to the you know, podcast or whatever it is, they can go on there and keep busy educating themselves for the rest of their life. It's, it's, it's an education website. It's filled with all kinds of things. All the podcasts, all the newspapers, all the magazines. I've written for 1,537 magazines around the world. There's magazine articles, there's newspaper articles, there's videos, there's podcasts, there's you name it. It's, it's an educational. It's, it's there to be of service to people. Thank you so much. This is so informative. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Appreciate it. Great questions. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the Limitless Grid podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel. This will help us grow and bring more incredible people. Thank you.